Kiora Wellington. I'm Laura Beth Kewen, and this is a special history episode of B-Side Stories. I asked the team at Museums Wellington to come and share some stories of the people who've made Wellington tick, and this is part of that series. Today's episode is the oldest home in all of Wellington, the Nairn Street Cottage, and the people who lived there. I've got the curator of social history at Museums Wellington, Nick Bullard, who is here to tell me more. Hi, Nick. Kia Laura. Did I get the the Neon Street Cottage? Am I saying this? You right? did well done, Neon uh, Street Cottage. Neon yeah. Street Cottage. Okay, so <laughs> tell me, um, just tell me about it. Where sure. is it? It's um, it is on Neon Street, which is uh, about halfway up Neon Street, um, kind of on the up beginning of the Brooklyn Hill. But it's not named. Um, it's named after Neon Street, but that's not the name. The um, house was not named after the Neon Street. Um, the house was built by. Uh, William Wallace back in 1857 when, of 1858 when him and his newlywed wife Catherine arrived from England. They immigrated, were fairly early immigrants, to Wellington on the Southern Cross and they came out in 1857. Yeah, and what was Wellington like at that time? Um, it wasn't kind of frontier Wellington. It was, you know, frontier life where like the, the very first settlers came to, like my, my, um, my tupuna in um, 1820s, but so that was real frontier life. You're clearing the land, you're you're, you're um, building your house from scratch, you're very mm-hmm. few supplies, they're all coming in on ships. But then when those, these guys arrived, the Wallaces arrived in 1857, there were shops, you could buy whiskey, you could buy flour, you could buy whatever you wanted really down in the, down in the town. Mm-hmm. And th- when the ships came in, it was listed on the front page what was on those ships, you know, like whiskey had, you know, exclamation marks, you can come and get it now. Um, dresses, you know, whatever you wanted really. Uh, yeah. And of course there was a lot of hand sewing and everything going on, but you could, you could buy lots of what you needed. Cool. So, yeah, so William, they arrived with one child, um, well, pregnant on the way out. So when they moved in, when he, he built the cottage in about 1858, we think. And as you say, we do believe it's the oldest surviving residential building in Wellington. Oh, wow. Um, and it's, yeah, up, up on the hill there. And, it, and back in the day, it was the only house up on the hill. Um, and it would have had a beautiful view over Wellington. Um, and now it's all built up, but we have retained um, a section which has got a heritage garden on it, which our fantastic gardener Hannah Swartz takes care of, and it's always lovely. And it's just a, it's, it's a reasonably humble little house up on the hill there. But William did arrive with some money, some capital. He'd been to the Crimean War first and put up. He was a builder, and he'd helped put up the prefabricated barracks and hospitals in, the, in Crimea. It's um, family legend says he, was, he befriended Florence Nightingale, the lady of the lamp over there. Nice. Um, yeah, so, then, so when he arrived here, he came with some money, and that's a crucial part of the story. Um, he didn't arrive poor. Um, if you arrived working class poor, then you, that's the way you stayed when you arrived. There was kind of a big dream about coming here and making it, but that didn't happen for most people. Mm. But because he arrived with some money, it enabled him to, A, build the house, and B, go into business. So he was, um, was been doing it a par- partnership, running a timber mill. And so he ended up doing very well because he could. He had some money behind him. Mm-hmm. So they ended up doing very well. So um, the little humble little four rooms at the bottom house with two bedrooms upstairs. Very soon afterwards, in the 1870s, he built a large grand two, two-story manor next, directly next door. We, we now have the visitor centre, and there were stables out the back for the horse and cart. And they, so within, say, 15 years or, or less, actually, they were doing very well financially. So, wow. you know, yeah, yeah. So he was just being, he had his timber mill and he was being a builder. Yep. Is that what he yep. was doing? So he got the contract to build the Hutt uh, River Bridge, 
which apparently made a loss. It's quite interesting looking at his business stuff because all through the 1870s he was losing money. Oh. But it, meanwhile, he'd built a huge house next door. <laughs> they'd owned, like, by the time they, um, they died, they owned 21 properties in Wellington. And so it's a bit of a, bit of a mystery, the kind of finances behind it all. But I need, probably need to get a business person to look at it. But yeah, <laughs> but can't, can't quite work it out. Did <laughs> uh, kid bank, bankrupt here and this and that, loss, made a loss here. But meanwhile, in the background, accumulating a lot of assets. Right. So, yes, yeah, so it's an interesting story. Now, the story continues. We're very fortunate that, for us, our, uh, for our sake, that we have uh, three generations of Wallaces living in that house. I see. So their third daughter, Clara Louisa Turner, her uh, marriage went, um, went, um, um, came apart. Um, her husband, a chemist, went bankrupt, and they lost their grand manor in Mount Vic. So she moved back into the family cottage because it was now... Uh, available with her four children. We don't think Donald came with her, her husband, so just the kids and her, in about 1911. So, um, so, and then her daughter, Winifred Turner, was living in the cottage until the 1970s when the council took it over. So we have continuous occupancy of the family from 1858 to ni- ni- the late 1970s. So this has now enabled me to do some, make some quite big changes in that ground floor of the cottage. Um, we can now tell the story of not just the family, a greater story of the family over time, but we can look at so- the massive social changes that women underwent from the 1860s, from mm. Catherine's Day through to Winifred's Day. And we can also look at the massive technological changes within the house that happened between, you know, candle power, from candle power to electricity and television and all the, the, you know, all the mod cons of modern times. Yeah. So I'm doing that by retheming the ground floor rooms in different eras and telling the uh, a different those those um, women's stories in a different room in a different era. Yeah. So yeah, we can So uh, c- can you um without spoiling uh, a visit, like can you give us the gist of how life changed for those women through time? Like what was the experience like uh as they arrived and then as um the generations came through that that yeah. building? Well, I think <clears throat> excuse me, I think that family um, those the women's story sums it up beautifully. Um, Catherine was a full time the, the original settler, Catherine Wallace. So, say in 1860, she was a full time housewife um, with very few, and, you know, having breeding children, of course, very little control over your fertility. So, um, and very little control over your life. You know, you were you were you know you were very little control of your life. Really, it's before women had the vote. Before women had, say, the Married Women's Property Act came in in 1884. So you had mm-hmm. some control over your own property at that stage, but it was before any of that. So really she was I don't know, a chattel I guess if you like of her husband's yeah. but three, two generations later her grand, by her granddaughter's um, age in the 1970s Winifred Turner was a full time professional working woman. Um, she had no children and she, was un- she never married so you know, that would have been really unheard of in, in her grandmother's day and then, yeah. Yeah, so, so you know we get to talk about those huge social changes wow. that have happened you know, what, what was her profession out of interest? She worked at Wellington City Council as a secretary for the uh, city engineers department. Yeah. So yeah, but it's the fact that she didn't have, didn't marry or had no children either. You know, she just had you had control, you had choices by then. Massive, massive change had happened within two generations. Yeah. So that, that's quite encapsulated really nicely within that cottage. Wow. Yeah. So. Uh, can you tell me why this cottage sort of survives and so many of the old houses have like? <clears throat> been taken down over the years? That's a good question. Well, it was in the, as I say, in the mid-1970s um, when um, uh, commercial development was, was bowling down all the old houses. I guess that, that was beginning to happen and it really took off in the 1980s, of course, but it was happening in the 70s. And so the Founder Society was, was looking for a house to, 
preserve before they all you know, look like they're all going to disappear, looking for a domestic house to preserve and turn into a museum. So um, they, uh, they approached, the, the council had earmarked, the, the cottage was going to be bold to, to make way for a car park for the council flats that surround it. But so they, the um, Founder Society approached the cottage and with the help of Winifred Turner, who was still living there, they um, convinced the, the um, council to preserve it into a museum. So they ended up swapping Winifred's house with a new council flat and Winifred and her boarder Jean, her companion Jean, moved into that brand new council flat, which would have been... So so luxurious. It would have been so warm and <laughs> yeah, so nice compared to living because it was in pretty much original, quite original condition. Yeah. When the council took it over, so then um, then the Colonial Cottage Museum Society was formed um, with the help of the Young Founders Society, um, and they, um, they 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 restored it and opened as a as a museum in 1980, restored back to its original condition, but more like about 18, uh, late 1870s because they sure. kept a few features. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but like then, maybe light switches and things? Um, the veranda at the front, oh, the washhouse out the back, and the scullery, which had been added later as well. Mm. So we can't really say original. But, and yeah. um, do we do we know what happened to the family? Are they still Wellingtonians? <clears throat> do we still see them around? And um, There are many, many Wallace uh, family descendants. Yeah. There's hundreds because uh, William and Catherine had ten children. They lost their last child, but only their last child. Um who died at 18 months, but, mm. uh, yeah, because of the, you know, in the three generations, how many are five generations later now? There's hundreds yeah. of Wallace descendants, and a few are, are still very interested in the house and, can, you know, want it to see it preserved and stories told with integrity, etc. which we do our best to do, of course. Wow. Yeah. Okay, how can people visit the cottage and learn more? Um, you can, it's, we are currently, re, we are closed for the redevelopment, yeah. um, and, we're at the in- installation stage now, so we open again on the 1st of September, Saturday, 1 September. Um, normal hours, just at the weekends at the moment, Saturday and Sundays, are from 1 to 4, with tours on the hour 12, 1 and 2 cool. p.m. Um, yeah, and then I think there will be a, some celebratory stuff happening around the relaunch of the new re-themed, new, the new fresh look, the new approach. Yeah. So that'll be um, for the uh, Museums Wellington online and... We'll look at our spring brochure. That sounds amazing. Okay, well, I look forward to um, exploring the Neon Street Cottage and learning about Wellington's history through the people who lived there. Great. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks a lot, Nick. Kia ora.